Turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Jesus of Nazareth was a master teacher, and some of his most well-known teachings are told in short stories called parables. Yeah, like the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who was looking for pearls, and when he found the ultimate pearl, he sold everything so that he could buy it. Must have been some pretty amazing pearl. Or the kingdom of God is like a tiny mustard seed that a farmer planted in his garden. It grew and became a huge tree, and birds came to perch in its branches. And that's a beautiful image, but... What does it mean? Exactly. Jesus didn't tell parables to make everything clear. Rather, he wanted to provoke the imagination and invite people to see what God is doing in the world from a new perspective. So let's talk about how to read the parables of Jesus. Now, there's many great teachers that throughout history have used stories to teach students about morality, religion, philosophy. But Jesus didn't use his parables to teach abstract religious or moral ideals. He said that his parables were about himself and his mission. His mission, which was to announce that the kingdom of God was arriving on earth as it is in heaven. Right. So in Jesus' day, the Israelites were ruled by the Roman Empire. But their scriptures promised that one day their God would come to rule his people as king. And so many Israelites wanted to revolt against Rome and fight for their freedom. And this is what some people thought of as the kingdom of God. Exactly. But Jesus was a poor traveling prophet, healing the sick, inviting people to follow him. And he said that this was the arrival of God's kingdom. And that didn't fit people's expectations. Right. And so Jesus used some parables to help people imagine that his small movement was the arrival of God's kingdom. Oh, yeah, like the parable that the kingdom of God is yeast hidden in a lump of dough. And you might not see its influence, but it's going to change everything. Jesus also told parables about the upside down values of God's kingdom, about how the least important people in the world are actually the most important people to God, especially those who are poor and of low status. Yeah, like the parable about the business owner who hired workers throughout the day, in the morning, later in the day, and even towards the end of the day. And when it was time to pay everyone, he paid them all the same wage. Right. Jesus is showing how money and status are irrelevant to God, who offers his generous mercy to everybody. Now, not all of the parables have happy endings. Some are really intense. Yes, Jesus stood in the tradition of Israel's prophets, who also told parables to criticize Israel's leaders because they mistook their kingdom for God's. So Jesus warned the leaders of his day, if they don't accept his offer of God's kingdom, they're headed for destruction. Yeah, like the parable of the landowner who built a wonderful vineyard and he expects it to produce fruit. Yes, Jesus gets this parable from the prophet Isaiah, but then he adapts it. Right, and so the landowner appoints managers to take care of this vineyard. And at harvest, he sends servants to collect the fruit But those managers kill the servants. And so the landowner sends his own son to confront the managers, and they kill him too. And so Jesus asked the people around him, what do you all think this landowner should do? Oh, he's going to punish those managers and hire new ones. Jesus knew that if Israel kept on their current path, they would be destroyed by Rome. And so in parables like this, he's forcing people to make a decision about his offer of God's kingdom. Are people going to reject him, ignore him, or trust and follow him? Now, if this message of God's kingdom is so important, why cloak it in parables? 
Why not be more clear? Well, through riddles and parables, Jesus could make really bold claims that revealed truth to people who were open-minded. For those who have ears to hear, they could ponder it and go deeper. But the parables would also conceal his message from those who were against him so that he could buy more time. Buy time for what? Well, Jesus was preparing his closest followers for the greatest surprise yet. Jesus claimed that Israel's God was coming to rule over his people not through coercion or violent force, but through self-giving love as he was going to die for their sins. But his death wasn't the end. Right. He said that his death would be like a tiny seed buried in the ground, but then it would grow and produce a crop with many seeds. So these parables, they explain who Jesus was and what he was up to. And the gospel authors have preserved these parables so that now every generation of Jesus' followers can read and ponder them. And imagine how God's kingdom is still at work even today. Right. These ancient parables are still full of new surprises and challenges. They're like a storehouse packed with treasures, some that are new, some that are old, and it's all just waiting to be discovered. Welcome to Parables, our series for the summer, and in the fall, the Lord willing, we will get back to Genesis. Children will be with us this month, possibly the whole summer. We don't know how it goes. Hopefully in July, we'll start making the shift, and then August, the next shift. But the lessons taught in children's church will parallel what we hear in here, and we want you to have devotions with your kids. No doubt you've been doing things like that. If not, well, go ahead and start. It's a new day, new beginning, right? And you could talk at least on Sunday afternoon, even on the way home from church, talk about a certain parable and what your child learned. We're calling this series Parables, Kingdom Pictures. Jesus describes what his kingdom is like. The kingdom of heaven is like a woman who put yeast in flour. So it'll be good. Today, we're going to talk about the parable in Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house Yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, The crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers. He begins in verse 15. 
Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? You get apples off of cactuses? No. Or cacti, sorry. Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? You know, haven't I preached your gospel? Cast out demons in your name? In the name of Jesus. <laughs> Done things in representing the Lord. Good things. If it's a true prophecy, it's a good thing. False, not so good. And done many wonders in your name? Then I will declare to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, rebellion, disobedience. So God's blessing is not always a sign of his outright approval. God's kindness is what leads us to repentance. And if we don't repent, you can't defend yourself on judgment day. Say, well, you were kind to me. You misled me. <laughs> Therefore, because of what I said, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. This is the conclusion of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. I don't like to call it the Sermon on the Mount because it's like we put his words in a container. There it is, the Sermon on the Mount. And we, th th that can be a defensive technique to dodge the issue of what he said in what we call the Sermon on the Mount. It's not a sermon. He's all over the place. There's no three points in a poem. It's the truth. And it's echoed in Luke. In uh, Matthew, he shares it on a mountain. In Luke, he shares it in a level place. Uh, so we don't know exactly where these things were shared, but in the Galilean region, there's areas right there by the lake where you can speak in a normal voice and be heard a great distance away without a lot of effort. So he preached these things. His disciples heard these things more than once. And he said, whoever hears what I have to say and does what I have to say is like a wise man who built his house, house kids, house, you're counting the number of times I say house. Built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do him, do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, 
not as the scribes. He had authority for sure. He knew what he was talking about. He's the word of God made flesh. He did not come and speak just pithy little platitudes or cute sayings or cute little things to make posters out of. He came and told us how to live. And so if we call him Lord, 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 and don't submit to his authority, then he's not Lord in our life. He is, but we're not going to enjoy the benefits of that. Can we pray? Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would speak to us from your word in such a way that it impacts how we think, how we live, how we walk, how we talk. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Today we're going to talk about wise and foolish builders. Uh, when he talks about a wise man building his house on the rock or foolish man building his house on the sand, he's talking about how we live. Uh, the house speaks of our life. How you live is how you're building your house, how you're living your life. You're either living it with wisdom or living it without it. So we could call it wise and foolish living. In Luke's version of this parable, in the level place where he's teaching it, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the stream arose, when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. The building in which you sit has underneath it things you can't see. You don't see the men that sweated multiple hours digging out the footings. You don't see the giant saw. It was a rock cutter. It came to cut through the rock in this hill to lay our foundation. You don't see the giant drills that came and drilled multiple piers down 20-something feet deep to anchor us in limestone. We are ready for hurricanes, folks. The building may go away, but the foundation is staying. In Christ, we have a foundation that is unshakable. Well, I'm very committed to Jesus. Well, the strength of our commitment is more dependent on the quality of that which we're committed to than it is in the power of our will. The power of my will will not determine the strength of my commitment to the Lord as much as the Lord himself. If you're truly committed to him, you're on a solid rock. Storms are going to come. Boy, they're coming. Amen? Hey, kids, you're with us. You know this song. If you know it, let's sing it. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock, and the rains came a-tumbling down. If you know it, sing it. The rains came down, and the floods came up. 
The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. And the house on the rock stood firm. I won't indulge you in the second verse, but the house on the sand fell down and all the kids fall down. Watch this. Does that illustrate the point? This just happened in the last few weeks. Where you build your house is important, but what it's built on is more important. Amen. Ezekiel said this. Actually, God said this to Ezekiel. After predicting great judgment upon his people, the Lord spoke to Ezekiel and told him how the people relate to him. They showed him great respect, like, Lord, Lord, but then they didn't do anything he said. He said this to Ezekiel, as for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of the houses. And they speak to one another, and everyone's saying to his brother, Please come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. So they come to you as people do. They sit before you as my people and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show great love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not do them. And when this comes to pass, surely it will come, then they will know that a prophet has been among them. When the judgment comes, they're going to know something is up. So when you hear God speak to you, and you know he's speaking to you, and you say, I can dig it, and you don't apply it to your life, what is that? That's treating him just like a country singer, you know? Great song, Johnny. Good deal, Susie Q. But it doesn't change your life. It just entertains you. Church isn't to entertain. Church is to be fired up to do God's will because it's not always easy. How many desire for a revival to come to our land, right? All right. You remember us going through Acts? That whole book is full of riots and revival. So our comfortable American lifestyle may go through some shaking from time to time. Keep the main thing the main thing. Build your life on what Jesus said, especially in <laughs> Matthew 4, 5, 6, and 7. Oh, my goodness. You commit yourself to loving your enemies. 
You commit yourself to turning the other cheek. You commit yourself to rejoicing when you're persecuted. You commit yourself to those things. That's why we like to call it the Sermon on the Mount to keep it over there. Somebody wrote a book called The Hard Sayings of Jesus. Someone in my family told me, oh, Jesus only spoke in the ideal. God never intended anybody to live like that. He just used hyperbole, you know, threats and stuff to get you to behave, kind of like a kid being told, I'm going to whip you, and the kid lines up so they don't get the whipping, right? I don't think Jesus came and lied. There was no sin in him. So these things are to be taken seriously. Oh, I can't do that stuff. Of course you can't. Only he can through you. So they drive us to our knees, say, Lord, help, help. Well, it sounds like you're preaching lordship salvation. I am not. We are saved by the finished works of Jesus on the cross, but we're saved for a purpose, for him to use us. Amen? Because I don't want to hear him say, I never knew you. On judgment day, there will be people say, I prayed the prayer. I did this. I did that. Depart from me. I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness, you who allow iniquity to reign and rule in your life. Parables, wise and foolish living, the wisdom of obedient hearers. Doing God's will is part of our relationship. I'm going to say the same thing six different times with scriptures that back it up. Doing God's will is part of our relationship with Jesus. In Matthew 12, he said, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. The context is they said, hey, Jesus, you're your biological family is here. His, his mother and his half-brothers and sisters were there. He had four brothers and at least two sisters. And he said, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So doing God's will is part of our relationship with Jesus. In Luke 11, he said, someone had yelled out, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts that nursed you. He said, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. I love to hear the word of God. That's where it all begins, by hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But faith without works is dead. So hearing the word brings us faith that enables us to obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way. All right. We are Jesus' disciples through living in his word. In John 8, the famous, you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free passage, comes on the heels of him saying, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So we are free based on the truth that we know. And the truth that we know is based on the word that is living in us. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask what you will and it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. So freedom is great. Truth is awesome. But living in that truth is what it's rooted in, in Christ. This is building our house on the rock. Living out his word is so important in the Great Commission Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even at the end of the age. So does that mean if he told the disciples to do something, I have to do what he told them? Well, hold on, hold on, because I know where you're going. You can't go just take your neighbor's donkey. Jesus said to take it. No, that was a unique situation where he spoke to individuals. You can't just go throw mud in blind people's eyes unless God tells you to, right? But when he spoke to the masses, when he preached, that's his word to us. Amen? I think, I think you got it. All right. We're blessed by doing what we know we should do. We're accountable for what we know, but we're accountable to do what we know. In John 13, 17, Jesus said, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So knowing brings blessing if we have the doing. In James 4, 17, his own brother said, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. If you know something is God's will and you refuse to do it, that is sin, clearly. Who wants to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant? How do you get something done without there being some doing? Right? Here's the problem. The hyper-Armenians are earning their salvation because they are hanging by a thread over hell, getting saved every week, that kind of nonsense. We're saved. We, we are to be the children of God through faith that he gives. If you're a believer in Christ, you've called on his name. Salvation is established, and on that foundation, we live. We build our house on that, not on the sand of human opinions, not on the sand of prejudice, not on the sand of selfishness, not on the sand of personal gain, not on the sand of religion, but on the rock of Jesus Christ himself. Amen? Uh, there's another verse in the, in the New Testament that says, the foundation of God stands, it has this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So we're his, and because we're his, we depart. So first we be, then we do. We're not doobies. I'm not am because I'm doing. I am, I'm doing because I am, right? That's the way life works anyway. Being a good listener is great. That's where it starts. But we must also obey. What if you told your child to clean their room? And the next day, you noticed it wasn't clean. Said, child, your room is not clean. I told you to clean your room. Do you take my words seriously? Oh, yes, I do, mama. Oh, I take your words seriously, papa. In fact, I have formed a study group and we're going to study the root word meanings of clean your room. We may even come out with a video series, ball caps, and T-shirts. Clean your room. 
You know what that is? That's like a lot of church activity. We're so busy going to church, we don't have time to be the church. Maybe the break we've had has been good for us. Reaching out to other brothers and sisters from other flocks to encourage them. Reaching out to our neighbors to love on them. I mean, think about it. I don't think I'm going to listen to you anymore. Kim, hold on. I think you're going to like it. Just hold on. James says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word and does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. I have cowboy teeth, wide open spaces, and sometimes spinach gets caught. I look in the mirror and I see the spinach and I deal with it. But if I don't, then I'm like the guy who looks in the mirror and then forgets. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. You can be so busy listening to sermons, reading books, studying subjects that you don't have time to obey. Call that person that's at odds with you and try to reconcile. Jesus called us to do that. Knowing the Lord is expressed by submitting to him. If he's our Lord, if he's the Lord, if he's the Lord of Lords, if he's Lord, Lord in our life, and then we don't submit to him, that's a full lordship, isn't it? John disciple closest to Jesus, said, by this we know that we have come to him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. We walk in his steps. And finally, the sixth way to apply this little parable is practicing disobedience is a foolish way to be living. Back to 1 John chapter 3, verse 7 through 10. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, make it a practice, sinning and never repenting, it shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers doesn't belong to God. He also says, if you can't love your brother whom you have seen, how can you love God whom you haven't seen? So obedience is so important. Now think of it like this. We are totally lost, totally depraved, in need of salvation. And on his own initiative, while we were yet sinners, Christ died 
for the ungodly. Is that not awesome? Such an expression of love should generate it within us a life of inspiration and appreciation and not condemnation and perspiration. When someone's forgiven of a lot, they love a lot. That's another one of the parables. We've been forgiven of a whole lot more than we realize. Well, I've always been saved. Well, I'm not sure about that. Self-righteousness is as filthy rags. You know what filthy rags are? It's a quote from the time when there was no such thing as toilet paper. Let's move right on. (laughs) Wise and foolish living, the wisdom of obedient hearers. How does this apply to today? I didn't come to church to get beat up. I've been getting beat up by life. I've been, you know, afraid of germs, or I've been afraid of our government or I've been afraid of other races, or I've been afraid of anarchy. Is your house built on the rock? Well, I love Jesus, yeah, but what about the words of Jesus? Do you love them? The wisdom of Jesus, do you love I love the scriptures as a whole. There are such a thing as red-letter Christians, and I greatly respect them, but it's almost like they just regard the words of Jesus and disregard the rest of the word. And the rest of the word is full of life, and Jesus came not to do away with previous message, but to fulfill it, to proclaim it, to make it a matter of the heart. The previous message from God was not to commit adultery. He said, don't lust. The previous message was not to murder. He said, don't hate. The previous message was not to covet. He said, give things away. Someone needs your coat, give them your cloak. Someone needs for you to walk with them a mile, walk with them two miles. That was painful for them to hear because a Roman soldier, the days before modern transportation, they didn't always have horses, got tired of wearing that armor all the time, and unless they were not in dangerous time, they would recruit a man off the street to carry their armor for them. Hey, you, come carry my armor. And you would have to carry it a mile. And Romans, as organized as they were, it was clearly marked where a mile was. So a Roman soldier could just stand where a mile marker was and recruit some poor guy on his way to, you know, on his way to lunch. (laughs) Why are you late, honey? Oh, I had to carry some guy's armor. Jesus said to carry it willingly, and I'm sure because they were forced to, they would carry that armor and drop it down at the next mile, next mile marker. There you go, and be sure and tell your buddies that I have done this for you so they don't get me going back. Jesus said we should be willing not only to carry it the mile, but carry it two miles. That's hard to hear. But it's that kind of living that will create favor with the ruling forces (laughs) and the blessing from God who sees our obedience. I think our bottom line is we don't trust God. This is the bottom line to a lot of our rebellion. We've been asking God to forgive you all the time and doing the same thing. You're on a hopeless cycle. 
you're not turning from the real issue. The real issue oftentimes is we don't trust God. We don't believe he is sovereign. The sovereignty of God almost comes up as as an excuse to refute miracles and other things, but it is a truth that is in the word. Listen to this. Proverbs 16 says, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. So what are you worried about? Give it to the Lord and he will establish them. He will make your thoughts line up with his will. He will show you where you're building your life on sand, where your house isn't on the rock. Commit everything to him. Commit everything to him. Oh, what grace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Verse 4 says this, The Lord has made all for himself, yes, even the wicked, for the day of doom. So you worried about the wicked? God's got this. They're his firewood. He's made them for his purposes. Now, what about this season that we've just come through and that we're still in? I don't care which conspiracy theory you hold to or which truth you hold to. You may be right. So I'm not going to argue about it. But is God up there wringing his hands? I can't believe those humans. Oh, my goodness. What do they think they're doing? Can you believe this? Gabriel, put that trumpet down. I can't go back yet. The God we serve is omniscient. He's omnipotent. He has all authority. You hand him a mess, he'll make a message out of it. Give him a test, he'll give you a testimony. So what in the world could happen with this? May 17th, three weeks ago today, I did what was our normal routine in our living room. We had YouTube hooked up to our TV, and we watched Generations Church, and then I'd already seen it before, you know? So... uh, Can't wait for kids' church to begin. Awesome. Can we just, the kids' church team, man, you guys are just awesome, man. Just really good. So the first Sunday this happened, I watched four four other church services in a row. I never did it again. It was too much. Too much. (laughs) But this particular Sunday, May 17th, I switched from, you know, the internet to TV and switched to, for some reason, it went to Channel 27, KDFW, I think, and there's the Catholic program. And this man is leading a mass, Bishop Edward Jones. He's originally from Pennsylvania, and he's the bishop of 1.3 million Catholics in the Dallas Diocese. So him and his assistant, Bishop Kelly, are leading this mass. The music is awesome. I mean, it's scriptural songs. It's just a man and a woman singing and playing the piano. The simplicity was awesome. It was was really good. And, and, you know, they went through the steps of the mass, you know, the steps of repentance and all these other things, then declarations about the power of the blood of Jesus and the broken body and all that. 
Now, keep in mind, people are at home. You know, we're, we're, we're doing things virtually three weeks ago. I'm not paying much attention at this point towards the end of the service. He leads them in this prayer, and I had to rewind, and it blew my mind. And suddenly I thought, God, could this be what you're doing? That people, not just picking on Catholics, are distracted from the real Jesus by religion, by trappings, by relics, by history, history to be proud of, history not to be so proud of, by people, by traditions, by practices. And here, this, whatever it was, truth or conspiracy or a real plague, has interrupted everything. But Jesus is not hindered by that. Would you like to see the prayer? All right. He's feeling really bad because the people can't take communion. For it to be legit, they believe it has to be done in a Catholic church with a Catholic minister serving it to you, okay? I guess they could do it at your house, but it has to be an ordained leader, deacon or whatever, serving it to you. So here, people are in their homes, just them and Jesus and their TV, right? And he leads us prayer called Act of Spiritual Communion. He says, my Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. And I believe in the presence of God, or and I know he's probably referring to transubstantiation, but the presence of God, it's like, okay, I didn't turn the TV off. I love you about above all things. Yes, yes. And I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come <laughs> come at least spiritually into my heart. Would you at least come into my heart, Lord? I just <laughs> I don't even know if he if he knew what he was doing. I embrace you as if you were already there and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Could some folks get saved praying that? If we are called, according to the Scriptures, to prefer others above ourselves, could we not back off from normal things so that, well, he should have just made the Catholics stay home so that they could do this? Well, that would be discrimination, right? So every, you know how our government does, they spank everybody so there's no discrimination, right? So everybody gets spanked for what is real or not real. We're not going to argue about that, right? So that thousands, maybe. Is God the Savior or what? He'll use any avenue that he can. Suddenly, I didn't worry about nothing anymore because God makes everything for himself. Let's pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that we would live with awareness that you are in control and that we can trust you and we can obey you and stop resisting you and stop trying to explain away your word and put nice labels on it. The Sermon on the Mount, the hard sayings of Jesus, but know the Lord, they're the words of life. To whom shall we go? You have 
the words of life. Lord, make us your disciples. And Lord, we look forward to the day when we will hear it said, well done, good and faithful servants. In Jesus' name, amen.
God bless you guys. Go get them, Tigers. Amen. <laughs>